today. But we're going to read the opening 24 verses of Luke chapter 14, page 1047. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and teachers in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he'll say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and then you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
Folks, if you keep that passage open before you just now, um, we're going to to take a few moments to, to think through those verses together. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, your words were dynamite. They were challenging to those who heard you when you first spoke and first taught. Lord, we pray that your words would have a similar powerful impact on us. We pray, Spirit, that you would take these inspired words, Luke's record of Jesus' words, and make them live again for us today. Speak to us, but do more than that. Help us to hear and to obey. Amen. Last Saturday night, um, a couple in the congregation, good friends, invited Claire and, out, Claire and I out to a, a meal uh, in a, to a restaurant in Belfast. It was, a, it was just one of those meals where the, the food was beautiful, the wine was good, the conversation uh, wonderful. Just a great, great night. Uh, and you'll know yourself that there are a few things in life better than to be at a, a good meal with good friends, enjoying good company and crack. Jesus today is at a feast, at a meal. If you have that passage open before you, you'll see that actually everything that we read happens at this meal. And there are four small elements in these 24 verses. Three, three there are one's kind of like an incident at the start that leads into a conversation, then a couple more conversation topics, and then a longer story. We're going to have a look at those this morning. In, in some senses, they, they're dealing with slightly different issues, but in another sense, they come together uh, and we can think of them as a whole. I suppose the first thing I'd say I'm still surprised when I meet people who think of Jesus as some sort of uh, meek and mild, uber nice guy. Um, you know, I sometimes meet people who aren't around the church or don't maybe know the, the Bible very well, and they're convinced that they like Jesus. They, they, they love him. Uh, they, I get the impression from him there's nothing about Jesus that would offend anyone. And I always think, Really? Uh, how well do you know him? Um, I think this passage gives us a, another one of those insights into the ways in which Jesus isn't just uber nice. He's not Jesus meek and mild. He's, he's something more than that. Oftentimes when Jesus was in company, he was dynamite. He let off bombs. And, and today at this dinner party, he's doing that. The first bomb he lets off in verse 3, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? It's, it's a controversial question, um, particularly when you're in the home of Pharisees and Jewish religious leaders. You see, for Jesus, it's a question that they had often asked him. 
uh, you can see it in other at other points in the gospels they they do this they they oftentimes would bring a, a sick person put him before jesus and see what jesus does it's a way of tricking him to sorry to see if he would heal on the sabbath day it's a way of tricking him to see if they can get him implicate him get him to disobey what they regard as the law but today jesus turns tables he sees this sick man and he says is it lawful to heal on the sabbath or not i think it's a heightened question whenever it's not or the, the tension's heightened whenever the question's not theoretical there's a guy here he's sick this conversation's happening in earshot of this guy so whatever people say they need to bear that in mind this guy's suffering with dropsy that's quite an old fashioned word i'm not sure the the those who are being trained medically today would would be using that term it's a person retaining fluid uh, would have been described in those days as somebody with dropsy and you can retain fluid for for a variety of reasons congestive heart failure might be one of them this guy hasn't been well probably for some time so here's this guy visibly ill jesus and the religious leaders and jesus asked can i heal this guy is that okay for me to do that on a sunday and it's a conversation stopper the guys don't answer him and they know that they're in a no win situation they know that if they say yes go ahead and heal him then they have to give up all that they have against jesus and their religious legalism all their dearly held views about how religious people please god they have to give that up and if they say no i mean who's going to say no don't heal the guy don't dispense the medicine don't don't help him who's going to say no to that so they don't have the courage of their convictions they're not willing to say yes or no no answer jesus shows up their thinking by asking them a second question he says listen if if your son or your donkey falls in, into a ditch do you not pull him out even though it's a, a sabbath day a a jewish sabbath saturday or a a sabbath sunday in our case do you not pull him out and again they've nothing to say like do these guys have a, a rule against answering questions on the sabbath too they seem to just not be up for anything on a on a sabbath truth is they they'd pull their their son or their animal out of the sabbath at the drop of a hat because that would be in their interests either their economic interests with their animal or or their own personal interests with their son so they have some vision of the sabbath that that allows them to look after their own interests but to put limits on what they'll do for other people and this apparently is how you please god so jesus first conversation at this feast is a challenging one he challenges those who are more interested in keeping rules than in bringing people into life the second conversation challenges those guys at the the meal who are more interested in having a, a 
pride of place, of having limelight, than they are of just being guests and enjoying the party. Look at verse 7. He noticed how some of the guests picked the places of honor at the table, and he told them this parable. We read Jesus' story a moment ago, and we have it in front of us. I, I can't quite picture a party where you had to be close to the guests. I was chatting to my kids about this. I think a kid's birthday party is actually a better illustration of this. When kids go to a birthday party, you sometimes see them scrambling to sit beside the party giver. It shows that you're important in the class. Yep, we, we know about that. Um, I was thinking of another example. Um, Imagine you're boarding a flight, a long-haul flight, going on your holidays. Imagine it's tomorrow. We need a bit of this imagining to help us here where we're at. You're flying to the States tomorrow. You're going on a three-week holiday. You notice that the first-class seats aren't all taken. So you think, you know, may as well just take one. And you sit yourself down. Just before the flight takes off, the stewardess comes and taps you in the shoulder. Excuse me, sir. I believe that isn't your seat. And walks you down to 47F, which is your actual seat. And 40 rows of people are tutting and looking at you, the walk of shame. Imagine that scenario or the converse. You've bought your super cheap flight ticket which I would be likely the cheapest seat on the plane. And for some reason, uh, a message comes down from the front and says there's a, there's a free seat here in first class. And the stewardess walks you up the aisle. Do you see the difference? Jesus says, don't be the first guy. Do you see what he's getting at? He's, I think he's challenging the view of those who feel entitled in life, who think that somehow they're born to privilege, that life revolves all around them. When that's our view of life, Jesus, I, I think this is almost just plain wisdom teaching as well as, uh, as well as teaching us morality, a good way to live. He's teaching us a wise way to live. There's a bit of wisdom in this. If you're the entitled guy who thinks that life always falls to you, then you're going to be disappointed. There's times when it's not going to work out for you. You'll be the one who's taken from first class and walked down to the back of the plane. But if you're somebody who has a humbler view of what you're entitled to, of what you should have in life, then a lovely thing happens in life. The good things that happen all feel like grace, feel like a blessing. And you find that in time... God chooses to lift you up. Don't live an entitled life, Jesus says. Be a recipient of grace. You see what I mean um, when Jesus is dynamite? So he falls out with guys about whether you heal or not on a Sunday. He critiques their choice of seats at the party. But he hasn't finished yet. The one thing you don't do at a party is be rude to your host, isn't that right? You know, the one person, you can fight with the guests, the other guests, but you, you, don't, you don't critique the host. Well, not unless you're Jesus. 
Look at verse 12. Turns to the host. Tells him, don't only invite people to your party who can repay the favor and invite you to a banquet next week or next month. Invite the guys who can't pay you back. That's true hospitality. That's real grace. That's the kind of thing that my father does and the kind of living that mirrors his glory in the world. Wow. So what's what's going on here? It seems to me Jesus is challenging the kind of hospitality that isn't really isn't really hospitality. It's not really a grace. It's more like a a social convention, a a reciprocal obligation. If you do something for me, then I'll do something for you. And actually, if if you've done something for me, I'd better do something for you because I couldn't have you haven't done something for me. You, You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The conversation you have in your home where you say, Oh, they invited us to dinner last month. We'll have to have them back soon. Oh, they have invited us twice in a row and we haven't had them. There's part of that that's okay. But part of it that moves us from a sphere of grace to a sphere of transaction, of reciprocal obligation. I remember it dawned on me a while ago the Christmas card list is one of our classic versions of this. Isn't it? So, you have your list of whatever number of names. You send your cards. And the cards come back in, mostly from the people who are on your list. One or two arrive that aren't on your list and you panic. Nightmare! And you look, you look at what's the last mailing date before Christmas? Can I still get one to them before? Because the worst thing in the world would be grace. To receive something that you haven't. Jesus speaks to the, the host and he says, don't just invite the guys who can repay you. Don't, don't just lock into this reciprocal, transactional stuff. Break out of it. Free up a bit of your time and energy from that kind of thing to give to people who can't repay you. Use some of your time, your money, your energy to bless people who maybe aren't quite like you do it in my name and again you're showing my life in the world we're going to pause there for a second and sing before we come to the last longer story in this passage we're going to be singing here about an invitation Jesus makes to a banquet it's it's very clear that he's talking about life in the kingdom of God but even before we look at that, let's be clear that the only reason we can ever come to that banquet to experience life with God is because of his grace. So we'll sing only by grace can we enter. The stewards will lift our offering just while we sing that song.
passage open for you for a few more minutes. It's getting pretty uncomfortable at this meal by now. Jesus has been fighting with the guests. He's been challenging the, the whole premise uh, for the gathering, probably, whenever he says, uh, let's, let's be careful of only inviting uh, guests who can repay us. Not, not surprisingly, one of the guests at this point intervenes. It's the kind of thing we would do. If you're at a party and, and things are going pear-shaped, you might try to take things into your own hands and see if you can redirect the conversation a, a wee bit into a, a less controversial kind of a direction. Uh, so with a guy here, I, I think he's saying basically, let's change the subject. Uh, let's see if we can get away from uh, all this uh, analysis of this, this banquet right here. So he pipes up and he says, you know, being at this meal and all this chat about meals, it's got me thinking about the great meal. You know, the wedding feast of the lamb. You know, maybe you know some religious types who might be inclined to, to think this way. This guy's trying to to get us from this place uh, onto what he thinks is safer territory. And he says, blessed is the man who'll eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. I think the implication from this guy is that he expects to be there. He's saying, isn't it great? You know, this feast's great, but isn't it great that there's an even greater feast ahead and that we're going to be there? Jesus then goes to tell a story where he talks about who's going to be there. That's what his story's about. Who's been invited and who actually shows up? Just, just very briefly, to understand the, the feast and how, how the run-up to it works, if you imagine a modern-day wedding where the guest list is drawn up well in advance and the invitations are sent out well in advance. So there's a period between establishing the guest list of who's going to come and then the, the feast actually happening. There's a, a little bit of that in this parable. So in this case, the, the guest list has been drawn up at some point, And then, just before the feast itself, in those days, he sent out a messenger to tell people, listen, we're ready. The feast's ready. Come on. So everybody who's being approached by this messenger has already known about the banquet and said that they intend to be there. And that makes their responses, verses 18 to 20, all the more surprising. If you have a a look at them very quickly, one of them says, I can't go because I've got a house viewing. And it makes you think, like, could you not view the house some other day? The the excuses are all lame, by the way. They're not, none of them are are good. Next guy says, can't make it. I've got a test drive for a new car booked that day. Really? And the third guy says, sorry, just got married. To which you're thinking, well, Bring your wife, it's all right. It's a big party. I suppose you could take a lot of time to analyze these excuses and try to work out. I think I've preached this passage and and maybe made some detail of that, but when I was looking at it this week, I had no sense of wanting to do that because actually I think the more powerful thing to notice is that these guys don't want to come. That's it. I think Jesus could have had a list of 
10 guests with equally random and poor excuses, but the point's still the same. They don't want to come to the banquet. And Jesus is telling this story, remember, at a feast of religious people. And he wants these guys in earshot, these guests around the table with them that day, to consider a very stark reality. And that is that people who've been invited to the great feast, God's great feast, are maybe going to choose not to come. They aren't going to be there. They're going to start making excuses. They're not going to show up. I just wonder if that's something we need to pause and reflect on for a second. You know, might it be that Jesus needs to bring the same message to the, the church today? And I say to the church, I mean, I mean people like us, us. There are people in and around our church, and we're on this guest list. The guest list are the privileged ones, the one who, the ones who know the host. A lot of us here have had the privilege of growing up in Christian families, places where we were taught about Jesus Christ. Or we've grown up in churches where the gospel was taught and, and God's word explained. In effect, we're on the guest list. We're the people who've always lived with that sense of invitation to come and to be with Jesus at his feast in the kingdom. But some people choose not to come. And they make excuses. I, I find that in itself about as sobering an idea as, as I would want to to try to reflect on. One thing I couldn't help but wonder, I wondered why. Why does that happen to us? Why wouldn't someone want to come to the party, the greatest party ever thrown, the, the culmination of all things that God's preparing for all those who love his son, Jesus? It seems to me that the, actually the stuff that went before this story maybe gives a bit of a clue the kind of attitudes of heart that can creep in. All the guys at the banquet are guest list kind of people. All the guys at, at Jesus' meal that day, they're guest list kind of people. But the conversation that day shows what kind of attitudes have crept into their hearts. It, it seems that they'd rather be at a different kind of party than the one Jesus is inviting us to. They'd rather be at a party where, where the strong oppress the weak with rules. They'd rather be at a party where it's a, it's a scramble to get to the top to be the most important person at the table. They'd rather be at a party where the, the top dogs invite each other and backpat each other in a reciprocal way, leaving others outside of the party. It seems like a, 
a party where there's a total absence of God's grace. Somewhere along the lines, the folks there moved from being people who realized that they needed God, who realized that everything good they have in life is from God, to, be, to being people who felt entitled. Maybe that's a way of life that people choose And when we choose that way of life, we become less interested in taking our place at Jesus' party. I love where this story goes next because while it deals with this unsettling uh, reality that some who are guests won't come, what the host does in Jesus' story is he rips up the guest list. He says to his servant, go, find the kind of people who don't normally get invited to parties. The sick, the poor, the lame, the blind. Get them, get them all, get them in here because this party's going ahead and I want them to enjoy it. So the guest, or the the servant does that, and then the servant comes back and he says, there's still more room. And he says, well, well, this town just isn't big enough for the party that I'm throwing. Get out on the country roads, get out away beyond here. Go out, I think he's saying, to the ends of the earth. It's very likely that Jesus is making a, a theological kind of statement here where he's talking about the time when God's party is no longer going to be limited to the Jewish people, the kind of people who were at that gathering with him that day, but it's going to be thrown open to the whole world, to to Gentiles, uh, anyone who will come. Folks, picture yourself for a moment. The poor beggar sitting on a street corner trying to scrape a living and the servant of the king comes and he says, it's you, come on. The king has a party and he's invited you. We can't believe our luck. We're up on our feet, we're getting moving and nothing, not wild horses, would stop us from going to that party. Do you see the contrast? The person who has lost sight of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, I think that person might end up behaving a bit like the guests in the first part of our passage today. Some of us will make excuses. We're still under the illusion that there's a a better life, better parties to be at. Others of us can't believe our luck. Can't believe that that grace is going to be extended to us. We're overjoyed with what we've found in Jesus Christ. We just can't wait to be with him, to be at his party. But we want the whole world to come and to join in with us too. And I suppose the only only appropriate way to, to reflect on a passage like that this morning is to ask, well, are you coming to the party? 
Does being with Jesus fill your heart with joy? Or do you prefer the kind of party that was outlined in the opening verses? If we come to know Jesus, if we accept the invitation to his party, if we live in the ways in which he lives, the social circles that we move in and the interactions we have start to not look like that anymore. I've seen it. I've seen churches where, humanly speaking, you should expect some sort of a a hierarchy, some sort of a rat race, some sort of people always wanting to be at the top, some sort of, you know, rules to keep other people out. And I've seen the gospel transform people. And those things slowly fall away. Folks, two, two parties may be described in that passage today. Two meals, two feasts. The, the one Jesus attended and the one he's invited us to. Maybe the truth is we'll be at one of those or the other. Let me pray. Lord, occasionally a hard or an uncomfortable word feels like a a blessing because it's such an important word. And Lord, today maybe this challenge to, to just see where our hearts are in relation to you feels like one of those hard blessings. Lord, help us to search our hearts to see, are we, are we guests like those first guests? Entitled, exclusive, lacking in grace? Or Lord, are we beginning to see ourselves more like the beggar invited to your great banquet? Lord, help us to stop at nothing to find our life in you. Help us to stop at nothing, to have more of you, to grow in you, to get more of these best meats and this fine wine, to enjoy life with you. Lord, maybe today is a day when you want to reorient us, turn us around, and draw us back in to those who will be at the banquet with Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a a second song here, uh, or another song. Um, I I suppose as I was reflecting on that passage this week, and even as I've been speaking just now, uh, one of my questions is how... How do you avoid becoming those guests who were described at that banquet? A person who feels entitled, a rule enforcer, an exclusive person. How How do we avoid that? It seems to me that 
the best way to avoid that is to reflect on the cost that's been paid to invite us to the great banquet. The lengths that God went to to, to allow me and you to, to be at a table with him. It's about the, the body of Jesus broken for us, about his blood shed for us. This isn't a communion service. We're not going to celebrate communion just now. But at this point, I'd like to sing a hymn, which is traditionally a communion hymn. It talks about the, the body of Jesus, his blood shed. But it talks about how that's all so that we can be at the feast. Let's stand and sing, Behold the Lamb who bears our sin away.